what you have to do is go back first to 2008, election night, big night for the Democratic Party. Barack Obama's elected president. Democrats grab a super majority in the Senate. They hold on to their majority in the House. On TV that night, Republicans don't know what the future of the party is going to be. They're staring down a demographic nightmare as the country's it changes. And they've now lost four out of five popular votes at the presidential level. The following year, a handful of really bright Republican strategists have a eureka moment. They realize first that the next year is 2010. It's a midterm election. Midterms usually favor the party that is on the outside. But 2010 is also a year that ends in zero, which means it's a, it's a census year. And immediately after that is redistricting. Every legislative and congressional seat in the country is going to be redrawn. Republican operatives in D.C. hit on a plan called REDMAP, and for $30 million, they devise a plan to target state legislatures, flip them, and take control of redistricting state by state, especially in blue and purple states like Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida. And the goal is to lock in Republican domination in state capitals and in the House of Representatives for the next decade. Democrats held uh, a majority edge uh, in the Michigan delegation in Congress uh, through the 1990s. Uh, It changed in 2003. Republicans held sway uh, for the uh, first part of the uh, George W. Bush administration. You mentioned 2008. Things changed again. Democrats had a slim uh, one-seat majority uh, out of uh, 15 seats. Eight were held by Democrats. And then 2013, it flipped from 8-7 Democrat to 9-5 Republican as we lost a seat. So uh, you certainly can see the impact there. And you saw it firsthand, too, uh, when you drove through and around one of the congressional districts that was redrawn, uh, the uh, 14th congressional district, which uh, looks sort of like uh, uh, an an S. It's a rather serpentine district. Uh, You drove around it. And what did you find as, uh, as you made your way around that perimeter? When you look at these maps simply on a page, they look like strange Rorschach tests, and you can't imagine why, but the strangeness of them is often what stands out. When you actually are on them at street level, and you you take them turn by turn, as I did in Michigan's 14th, 170 miles of the border, you understand that there is usually a reason behind every strange jut and every odd line. It is, it is usually there to reach out and grab something and pull something in. When democracy works, you see that the party that is having the, the best year and gets the most votes takes the majority of the seats. Michigan's 14th is designed to do something very different. It's designed to connect the poorest neighborhoods of Detroit, the very bottom of that S, with the 
poorest districts of of Pontiac, um, which is the the top of the S, the head of the snake, as I like to look at it, um, and essentially it converts and twists and 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 makes these incredibly strange gyrations between there in order to connect these two neighborhoods sometimes by something as as as, as thin of a, as a small road that you could probably hit a golf ball across and be in and have that golf ball be in three different congressional districts the goal behind this is to pack as many african american and democratic voters into that snake in the 14th district as they possibly can in order to take the districts around them and make them more conservative, a whiter, more Republican. And it works really, really well. So Brenda Lawrence wins the 14th with about 78% of the vote. Democrats in 2012 in Michigan received 240,000 more votes statewide for their congressional candidates than Republicans. But you're right that the delegation is 9-5 Republican. And that's because of the way those lines get drawn. They're drawn in order to affect all of the other districts around them. Now, you met on your travels two of the people who were involved in that redistricting. Uh, The title of your book mentions a secret plan, but uh, as I read this uh, chapter on Michigan, uh, they didn't really act like it was too much of a secret. Um, I think after the fact, people are willing to talk about what happened a little bit more than perhaps they are at the time, yes. Um, um, I think that Republicans across the country, the folks who are involved in this, nationally and the folks who um you know worked on it at the state level believed that they were doing their job um and the rest of us might look at this and say boy that was crafty it was devious um and it was those things but it was also it was also brilliant politics um the democrats simply lacked the creativity, the vision, or the imagination to pull the same scheme off themselves, and they're paying for it by being on the outside looking in now for the next decade in Congress and in state capitals. Now, uh, this is not a problem unique to Michigan, of course. There have been fights over uh, redistricting in other states, uh, Texas, uh, Arizona, I believe, uh, as well. Absolutely. And there, uh, there is uh, some sentiment uh, that uh, what's needed is a fairer system that takes it out of partisan hands and puts redistricting in the hands of uh, nonpartisan commissions. Uh, do you see an effort like that uh, here in Michigan? There have been talks like that in Michigan. There's, there's, the, uh, there are, you know, a couple of state reps who I talk to in the book who um, are trying to push for um, a more nonpartisan and a fairer process. Um, we are the only democracy in the world that allows politicians to draw their own lines and essentially choose their own voters. Um, and politicians of both sides like that. Um, they like being in in charge of that. Even sometimes the Democrats who are in the 
minority end up, um, you know, having having very safe districts as a result of this. If we want more competitive elections, if we want to see this process change, if we want results at the ballot box to actually have an impact, you know, on the level of, of, of which party is in charge, um, we do have to find a way to take this back. Nonpartisan redistricting is certainly among the ways that this could work. It is very hard to take the partisanship out of anything, especially something as fraught as redistricting. In Iowa, they have effectively managed you know, a, a very political state, a very partisan state, but there is nevertheless a sense of civic trust in Iowa that the people who are drawing these lines don't have their thumb on the scale. Um, on the other hand, in Arizona, you have a, a commission that is, uh, is fraught with partisanship and simply takes the same kinds of fights that you would have in a state legislature about this and kind of moves them behind closed doors and has a group of five people working on it. So it's a very thorny issue to undo and to figure out a fair way of doing. One of the points uh, of your book, if I got it, that is, uh, is that uh, while Republicans were planning this strategy, Democrats basically let it happen, almost as if they didn't really, uh, they weren't really interested in this process. I think that what's so interesting about what happened in 2010 is that gerrymandering has been around since 1790. You can trace it back to the roots of the republic. Um, it had simply never been used so effectively and so as such a blunt force partisan weapon before. And I think Democrats looked at this and, and thought, sure, it's a redistricting year, but it's not going to necessarily be different from any other one of the last 210 years. Republicans had a very different plan. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Moneyball in some ways in, in baseball applied to politics. They recognized a loophole that was not being exploited that for a small amount of money could deliver huge results and the technology had become so good that when they drew these maps in 2011, it was unlike the computing power, the demographic power behind these maps are so precise right now that you are able to draw perfect lines and districts that will not budge for a decade. Um, previously, you could do a pretty good job with the maps, but they, you know, by, but by, by 2016 or 2018, at that point in a decade, after a few years, the demographics of a district change. People die, people move, um, the political situations change. These maps are just about impregnable because the technology has gotten so good. The Democrats didn't recognize that 2010 was fundamentally different from any other redistricting process before. They realize it now, though. Fast forward to 2016. It's a presidential election year. We have two candidates, uh, very polarizing. Uh, electorate mm -hmm. is still polarized. I mean, what do you think will happen? Do you think there could be a flipping of, of, of some sort based on who the candidates are? No, the, the maps are too strong for that. Um, 
In 2012, 1.4 million more people nationally voted for Democratic candidates in the House of Representatives than Republican candidates. And that was not enough to move more than seven seats. Republicans held about a 35-seat majority in the House, despite getting 1.4 million fewer votes. It was the first time since 1972 and only the second time since World War II that control of the chamber did not go to the party with the most votes. That's how good these maps are. Um, so if you had 1.4 million votes wasn't enough to budge this more than seven seats, you would probably need to see a landslide of seven or eight million votes at the House level in order to flip the chamber, which seems very unrealistic to me. Um, I think it is entirely possible, as you look at the polls today, and of course it's super early and all of these things can change, that there are a lot of Republicans who are uncomfortable with the idea of electing Donald Trump a president. But the idea that those same Republicans in these incredibly tilted districts will also say that they want to have a Democrat in Congress along with a Democratic president seems to me to be unlikely. I imagine that even Republicans who don't want um, Trump in the White House would still want to be sure that they had a Republican Congress as a check against against President Clinton. So the concerns that uh, Trump might uh, have a, a negative effect down ballot uh, is overblown. I think that is a myth that we're going to hear a lot of. And I don't think the media in the country fully understands just how gerrymandered these districts are. Because for 220 years, gerrymandering was just something both sides did. It was part of politics. It's fundamentally changed, and we've all been slow to catch up with it and understand that. So there will be talking about, you know, whether a landslide, you know, brings, you know, Democrats along with it, whether this is a down-ballot disaster for Republicans. It's not going to work out that way. These maps are too strong, too smart, and, and too resilient to allow for it.